be here. I'm so excited to be in Texas. Texas women, y'all are amazing. Okay, I'm gonna show you my family. I've expanded a little bit since last time I was here. So if you wanna put up a picture of my kids, go ahead, where are they? Oh, there they are, okay. All right, so just gonna show the Sandra. There's my dog. Okay, so, no, put it back up, put it back up. Not, there we go, okay, so there's my son Alexander. He is 29, he is with my dog. That's not okay, that is my dog. I want to see this change. I would like to see him with a, a woman, not a dog. So there's Alexander, there's Austin. Austin got married, here's this beautiful bride, Jessica. She's an incredible artist. Then there is Arden and his beautiful bride, Christian. And then there's Lizzie the Wild on top of something. You can see that's in motion. Anybody that's ever taken a family photo, you have about 20 seconds to capture an image before somebody goes rogue. Lizzie was about ready to have it happen. There is Sophia, my husband of 38 years. There, there is, I know, hallelujah, we're both alive. Then there is me, my beautiful Texas-born son, Addison, his Texas-born bride, Juliana. Then there is my oldest grandson who turned 11 yesterday, Asher, and then he's holding August, who is four. But I want you to look at Asher for a moment. Asher is a 39-year-old man trapped in an 11-year-old's body. Last year, John and I took him to Disney World for his 10th birthday. And John said, you can sit with him. So I sat with Asher, and Asher had the brochure of Disney World. He went through ride by ride, systematically quizzing me on the different attributes of these rides. He would say things like, gee, mama, is this one going to be dark? Are people going to scream? Will you be screaming? Will I scream? Well, it spin me around. I don't mind spinning around, but I don't want to go upside down. And, you know, it was just constantly, we went sorted through all of the rides. So at the baggage claim, John pulled me aside, and he said, Lisa, we better start out slow with Asher. He could have a meltdown on the very first ride, and that will be the end of the day. But John is Italian, and I am Sicilian. That means we have different parenting styles. I said, we are not going to start out slow. I am going to find out the scariest ride in all of Disney World, and we're gonna do that one first, and then we'll all be downhill after that. I found out that the scariest ride is the dinosaur ride. So we went on the dinosaur ride first. I'm not gonna lie, I closed my eyes three times. And when we got off it, he looked at me and he said, gee, mama, that was terrifying, and that was fun. Welcome to being a Christian in 2020. It is going to be terrifying, and it is going to be fun, but you are not made for It's a Small World. You were made for the Avatar ride. You were made for another time and another place, and you are passing through. And to pass through this place, we are going to have to be courageous, right? Okay. So in my time with you tonight, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to be your Sicilian godmother. Can I do that with you? Okay. Now you think, what is a Sicilian godmother? Don't they kill people? No, not the godmothers. That's a godfather that kills people. Now, godmothers are people that come alongside of your life when you are at intersections of growth 
and crisis and change. They are older women who say, I'm going to come alongside the younger women, and I'm going to open up the treasury of my life, and I'm going to show them what I learned the hard way so they don't have to have the same hardships that I have because they're going to have their own lessons. But it's wrong that we keep repeating the same things over and over again. And it is time that one generation takes spiritual responsibility for another generation where we can grow up strength to strength side by side. Now, I'm not going to be on your side. I'm going to be by your side, which is better than being on your side. You know, I love how God is. You know, God sends down his angels at the time of Jericho. And Joshua knows he's leading the chosen people. So he thinks, I got, I got the right question to ask him. He's like, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on Jericho's side? And that angel says, I'm not on either side. I am the captain of the army of the Lord's host. God is the one. We better get on his side. And stop thinking he's going to choose sides. God is God. He is above sides. He has no rival. He has no equal. You remember how we sing that. Okay, so we need to understand that that is the God that we need to start pointing people to. And so that's what a godmother does. She comes alongside of you. I wish she could have a fairy wand and just go, bing, COVID gone. Okay, jobs for everyone, a prosperity. No, that's not what they do. That's not what they do. They come and they let you know that hardship is actually a vehicle to remake you into a people invincible. I believe that God is doing a new thing. So I have a book out there called Godmothers, Why You Need One, How to Be One. I'll tell you why I wrote this book. I turned 60 in June. Now let me tell you a little bit about seasons in life. Zero to 30, you're growing and learning. 30 to 60, you're building and establishing. 60 on, you better be imparting and leaving some pathways for other people to follow. And so I wrote this book because I wished I could have read this book when I was younger. So I remember when I was pregnant with my third son, Alexander, how many people are cute pregnant? See, I was never cute pregnant. Okay, like this is a tent dress, but it would not have even fit me when I was pregnant with Alexander. I remember being pregnant with Alexander and traveling with John Bevere. We had a Honda Civic, and every half an hour or so, I had to get out of the car, stretch my legs, because I was large pregnant. I didn't believe in being cute pregnant. I believed in a minimum of a 50-pound weight gain for a good baby. And with Alec, I, I went over 50 pounds. And I remember John was speaking at a Pentecostal holiness church, and he left me behind on the first night with the two boys in a very dirty motel room, and he said, baby girl, lock this door because I'm scared for your safety. So I locked the door, put the two boys to bed, in a deep sleep, John knocks on the door around 1230, because back then, no, no, if a meeting didn't go four hours, the Holy Spirit had not shown up. And so if you dismiss people at 10, oh, man, you just weren't even in the spirit. So anyway, so I think it was like midnight when John comes home. I open the door. I'm kind of like going right back to sleep. And I thought, I should probably ask him how it went. I said, how was it tonight? And he said, well, it was good, but the women are so oppressed in this church. 
And I said, oh, that's sad. He said, yeah, it is sad. So I told the pastor, you would do a women's meeting tomorrow morning. <laughs> you guys, now at this point it's about 1 a.m. I'm like, what? He said, yeah. So I told him that you would do a woman's meeting. Because I have double pierced ears. I'm like, John, these women can't even wear pants. They're going to stop me at the door when they see the double pierced ears. I cannot do a Pentecostal holiness woman's meeting. And John's like, well, you just need to be ready. You need to calm down and stop getting mad at me because this is going to happen. And so I remember around 7 a.m. in the morning, he takes the boys out to Waffle House. I'm mad at this pastor I've never met. I'm mad at my husband because he did preach my only message I ever had the night before. And now I have no message to preach to the women. I'm on my knees on the bed because you couldn't kneel on the floor because it was too dirty. And I'm crying out to God. And I'm saying, God, I can't believe that you're asking me to minister to women. You know I don't like women. You know I'm not really a woman. God, I have a, a, a man's brain and a woman's body. God, this is going to be really confusing. And I hear God say, I like women. He said, I created woman as the answer to the very first problem, and that was it's not good for man to be alone. I thought, okay, that does make sense that you would like them. And I said, but God, I, I can't minister because nobody's ever poured into me. And he said, Lisa, for you there's not going to be a mentor. He said, but what you wish another woman would have been to you these last eight years of your marriage you begin to be. I said, I don't know how to be it. He said, just you do. Write it backwards. So I sat with a pen and paper and I talked about how she would look at me, what she would say to me, how she would watch for me, how she would help me. And I decided I would pour out of my brokenness. See, God is not looking for a mentoring of pride, and he is not looking for Christian celebrities. He is looking for mothers and fathers in the house of God. And mothers will lay down life to bring forth life. God always created women as answers to be embraced rather than problems to be controlled. And right now, this world needs the answer that women bring to this earth. And so I'm so proud of you that you would come to this conference when there's a Sicilian godmother yelling at you from the stage saying, come on, be courageous. We need women like you. So I'm going to pour into you everything that I feel is going to start you on that journey. And I'm so honored. I usually hate being the first speaker. I hate it. But you guys are so there and you are so ready. And I'm so honored that Cindy's like, go ahead and crack it open, Lisa. She never said that. She thought you guys were already open. Okay, so I'm going to share a scripture with you that I have been sharing everywhere I go and every chance I have to speak it. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's God talking. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, God had a plan before COVID. And the plan of God before COVID is still the plan of God in COVID. Will still be the plan of God after COVID. God has a plan and it's for good and not for harm. Now I want you to hear me. I wrote these words last year 
when I wrote this book. It's as though our Father is saying to each and every one of you, baby girl, I have a plan. Don't be afraid. It is a plan for good and not harm. This plan is not just limited to you and your now. It is bigger than the one thing. My plan extends to include not only you, but every life that passes through you. It is your future hope. Hear me, child of God, who is afraid that God doesn't have a plan. He always has a plan. When the enemy has a scheme, God has a plan. When the enemy has lies and slanders, God has truth that declares and supersedes all the lies of the enemy. God says you will outlast the lies. You will outlast the accusation. You will outlast the attacks. You just stand strong knowing that I have a plan. And God has a plan for this nation. This nation is not planned for destruction. This nation is planned for the glory of God. I believe a revival is going to sweep through this nation. I believe that God is tearing down the high things and lifting up the broken right now. He is removing idols, the things that obstructed our vision. Everybody's like, 2020, and God's like, yeah. I'm going to tear down the idols, and I'm going to take my church into the wilderness, and my church is going to find out that you don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that proceeds out of my mouth. So let the word of God be richer in you than the media's word or social media. You have to have the word of God quickened in your spirit, because when the pressure comes down, the sword needs to come out in Jesus' name. Have that word. Have that word. It's a living sword and it will rightly divide. When the enemy tries to deceive, may you know with discerning the ability to know truth from lies and darkness from light. In Jesus' name. Watch for it. Watch for it. There's going to be a plot twist. Watch for it. Watch for it. I watched an Agatha Christie mystery the other day. And I was so sure who the bad person was. And I knew they were trying to trick me. I knew they were trying to make it obvious. But then all of a sudden, boom, plot twist. God is quiet right now because he is moving some things into place. Watch for it. Get excited. Be expectant. Don't be like everybody else. Don't read the graffiti on the tunnel. Don't talk about the problems. Don't parrot what everybody else says. Prophesy the answer. God needs you to stand outside of a valley of dead bones and say, call forth the wind of God's spirit that these bones would come alive. God wants you to prophesy. We sang it. That's not just a nice thing. That is a necessary thing right now. You know what to prophesy in your situation. I don't know what to prophesy that needs to happen in your home, but you do, and you need to open your mouth. The enemy is putting masks over our face. He's canceling people. Oh, they can't shut down the word of God. It's like fire in your bones. You got to speak it out in Jesus' name. All right. Hallelujah. I hadn't planned on saying all that, but there you go. 
Okay, so I had something happen last year. I told you I turned 60 in June. Well, last year, John turned 60. And I just need to tell you a little bit of that dynamic. So John's birthday is June the 2nd, and my birthday is June the 6th which means that all of my birthday celebration gets sucked into the vortex of John's birthday. There is John's birthday Eve, then there is John's birthday, then there is the day after John's birthday. By the time my birthday comes along, people are like, can we just give you a gift card? And I'm like, yes. So last birthday, John decided to have a bunch of his friends in to go golfing. I was in Riverside, California preaching. I, was, I had to catch like a 6 a.m. flight. I had to get home, and I was rushed straight to the hotel where all these men were golfing. But there was one couple that they didn't golf. <laughs> so his wife had like, booked both of them a spa treatment. And so John said, take them to the spa. So I'm walking them to the spa. I've been sleeping in my makeup for about two and a half weeks now. And the husband looks at me and he says, hey, I thought my wife was going to get me a massage. She got me a facial. How about you take my facial? I said, I would love to take your facial. And so I go into the spa and I'm so excited. And, and I'm in the waiting room. You know, in the waiting room of a spa, you have women in robes without bras on, which makes people uncomfortable with one another. You know, normally they're okay, but when you're only partially dressed underneath, people get a little awkward. And I remember I had come in and I saw this beautiful mountainscape and I went to the window like Julie Andrews, the hills, but the people there were sitting there looking at me like, you're not part of our group. And we don't have a bra on and you don't have a bra on, you need to move away. So I backed away from the window and I sat in a chair, and I watched a young girl walk in and do the exact same thing. She walked in, went right to the window. The two grumpy ladies shamed her away. She turned away in shame, sees me, freezes, and starts crying. And I'm thinking, okay, what did I do? Why is she crying? Is she one of my son's ex-girlfriends? No, no, no. She's a blonde. She's a blonde. She's not one of my... So I'm like trying to think through my brain. And all of a sudden, she, she opens up her arm like this, and she has a copy of my book without rival in her arms. Apparently, some friends had entered, into a con entered her into a contest where she won three of my books, and she was reading without rival. So I jump up, I hug her, I invite her to sit down with me. She's a young, beautiful girl. Her life is just brimming with promise, and she tells me that she's newly married, she's newly moved, she's part of a new church, new community, new job. And I said, this sounds great, this sounds like an adventure. Why, why are you afraid? And she said, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm just afraid I might miss God. And so I said, you know, the enemy turns our purity of heart against us. He says, oh, you better not do that. You might miss God. You better not do that. You might make a wrong move. And I said, you know, we're just going to pray. So I, I prayed with her. And then after my facial, I went back to my room and I thought, for 30 years of ministry, I have heard some of the most pure-hearted people say they're afraid they're going to disappoint their father that they're afraid they're going to miss God. And I thought, I'm so tired of hearing that. You know, on the front, it sounds noble. I don't want to miss God. And I was pondering it because there's usually the things we hear are fight and flight, but there's a third stance right now, and it's called freeze. 
We've got people frozen. They are overwhelmed. They are afraid to step forward. They're afraid to step back. They're afraid to make a move, so they make no move. And I heard the Spirit of God say, you tell my sons and daughters, I'm a really big target. The only way they will not hit me is if they don't shoot. So I'm going to ask you, where can you aim and not come in contact with him? What can you touch that does not declare his existence? Where can you look and not see the fingerprints of his majesty? If you look at the stars, you remember a covenant, a promise. If you look at the mountains, you are reminded that he is our rock of refuge. The ocean's roar declares his majesty and might. The wind awakens our souls to the undeniable reality of his unseen Holy Spirit. David pondered this, and he said in Psalm 139, verses 5 and 6, you hem me in, behind and before me, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God is saying, I've hemmed you in. What does that mean? I've sewn you into my presence. I have wrapped you. I have surrounded you. But he's not just in front of us and behind us. He is in contact with you and laid your hand upon me. The hand of God on your life is the blessing of God on your life. It is the anointing of God on your life. It is the guidance of God on your life. It is the assurance of God on your life. When God would put his hand on somebody, it marked them in the spirit. God is saying, I'm behind you. I'm before you. My hand is on you. In the message paraphrase, it reads like this. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. We're supposed to think about this God. You know, you were on the verge of it when we were singing about his blessing behind us and before us, all around us. You know, I wrote this book last year, and that song came out this year. I feel like God is saying, I'm writing it out. I'm having you sing it out. I want you to know my presence is with you. I want you to know that I am your ever-present help in time of trouble. He is not disconnected. He is connected. But we all have gaps in our life, don't we? And we're finding out that when we are in isolation, those gaps get worse. See, I have gaps in my life. I have gaps in certain areas where my husband fills in. You know, we all have particular areas where the way things are is not the way they should be. There's generation gaps. There's a generation gap right now between the older women and the younger women. See, the older women think that they're either not worthy or that they have nothing to offer the younger women. They think that the younger women don't want to hear from them. So they think, okay, fine, let them figure it out on their own. Then we got the younger women 
thinking the older women can't be bothered. They're too busy playing golf and getting plastic surgery. But the truth is that the younger women need the older women, and the older women need the younger women. And God always meant it that we would do it together. And when we do it together, the gaps in our lives begin to close. See, courage does not grow in isolation. Courage grows in community. And so I'm gonna talk to some mamas in this house. And you think, well, I'm not even married. What is she saying? No, I'm not talking about giving birth. I'm talking about having a heart to see the next generation walk in something more than we have walked in. Mamas want more. And when I look around, I don't like what I am seeing right now. I want something more for the next generation. I want something more for the next year. I want something more for each and every one of you. One of my favorite mommy quotes, and again, we're not talking about giving birth quotes. We're talking about when you open up your heart. When you say, okay, I, I don't even have a husband, but I'm going to adopt a compassion child. Or I, I don't, like, I, I don't, I had a messed up teenage years, but somehow I survived and I'm now 25. I think I'm going to pour into a 15-year-old. When you say, I'm going to live outside of myself, that's what having a mother's heart is. Jill Churchill said there's no way to be a perfect mother. So right there, we don't have to worry about perfection and a million ways to be a good one. And one of the ways to be a good one is to be a woke one. My boys told me not to say that. They're like, mom, you're white and you're awkward. You can't say woke. Well, it didn't originate in this year. It originated actually a really long time ago in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, there was a woke mama. Now, I looked at this woman, and I thought, I want her job. When I first glanced, I read about a woman named Deborah who sat under a palm tree and judged people. I said, yes, I want that for my job description, under a palm tree judging people. That would be so easy. I could just do it on Instagram. It would be a full-time job. But she was not just the judge of Israel. She was the prophetess. So I would be like, don't mess with me. You touch me, you touch God. I am the prophetess of Israel, and I am the judge of Israel. But then I looked a little closer, and I realized Deborah wasn't having a good time. See, there had been 80 years of peace and prosperity under another judge, her predecessor named Ehud. But when he died, the people went crazy. Because you know what? People don't always grow strong in peace and prosperity. We actually, as a church, I don't like it, but it's the truth, we do better with persecution and hardship. Persecution and hardship locates the ones that really love God when they're willing to stand up for what they really believe and not cower but what, before what culture says you're going to have to acquiesce to. And so Deborah inherits these people after God, listen to this in Judges 4 too, it says, sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. God was like, these people are so naughty. I'm selling them off to mean King Jabin. 
The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harish. I'm not going to even try to say that word. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. God will always take his people out to get them to cry out. Then when they cry out, he shows up. So he said, okay, I'm selling you to Jabin. He's got 900 iron chariots. They're like, oh my gosh. For 20 years, the people were oppressed and began to cry out to God. But see, let me tell you their conditions. They were surrounded by an enemy. It said that the people were afraid to work their fields because they might get attacked. Oh wait, that sounds like what's happening right now. People don't want to go out and do their work or go out into their fields or their jobs because they might get attacked by a virus. But that wasn't where it stopped. It said the trade routes were cut off. Nothing came in and nothing went out. So we got a surrounded enemy and that surrounded enemy that had reduced the people where they had no, pe no purpose and no prosperity meant that the people began to fight among each other. So now Deborah is navigating the infighting of Israel while they are surrounded. And I don't know what caused her to snap, but one day she said, enough is enough. And the way Judges 5-7 says this, it said village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Fear had completely shut down their community life. People were afraid to dream, afraid to live, and afraid to hope. I love the NET, same verse says warriors were scarce they were scarce in Israel until you arose, Deborah, until you arose a motherly protector in Israel. Then the NCV says, there were no warriors in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose to be a mother in Israel. But here's my favorite version of this. Listen to this one. It's for COVID. Warriors became fat and sloppy. No fight left in them. Then you, Deborah, rose up. You got up a mother in Israel. I don't know whether there was no warriors or just a few fat, sloppy warriors, but everything changed when Deborah arose. And you know what she did when she rose? She didn't say, you fat, sloppy, video-watching, porn-addicted warriors. No, she didn't do that. You know what she did? She called forth the princes out of exile. She called for Barak, who was in the city of Kadesh, and she began to say to him, has God not said? And then she says, has the Lord God of Israel not commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, take 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. Now you think, well, I don't know if God's commanded me anything. Oh, I'm going to tell you, God has commanded you something. And it is the banner over this conference. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord, your God, is with you. And we don't get a bunch of army people. We're not going to have like chariots with wheels falling off and a messy river and a tent peg woman who's going to like pierce some guy's skull. It's a mess. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do the bloody mess thing. We're going to be women who understand that when we get up, and we begin to call forth the destiny in the sons and the daughters and the men and the women. Everything will begin to change.
There's an obscure verse in the book of Jeremiah. There's a lot of obscure verses in the book of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah 31, verse 22 says that God will do a new thing. It says a woman will encompass or encircle a warrior. And every single commentary that I had access to did not have an explanation for that verse. And so I was praying into it, and I was like, God, what is this? What is this? A woman encircles a warrior. And God said, it hasn't happened yet. See, there are things that God puts in there that we get to walk into. And so I prayed into it, and I saw a man dejected, depressed, oppressed, and I saw a woman come behind him. He is seated, and she put her arms around him, and she began to whisper in his ear and remind him that battles were real, and dragons were real, and videos were games. She began to tell him that the end of his life would not be the end of this chapter, that God was going to do a new thing in his life. She began to call forth the prince, call forth his strength, say, I'm breaking the bondage of pornography. I'm breaking the bondage of hopelessness. I'm breaking the bondage of a dreamless existence of hiding. And I'm going to call you forth. God has a strategy on your life. I don't know what you need to say out loud. I don't know what the promise was pre-COVID that God says is your strong and courageous key now. But I need you to begin to speak it out loud. I need you to say it with confidence. I need you to say, has God not said to yourself in the mirror, be strong and of good courage. All I know is that you and I could have been chosen for any time in history, but we were chosen for this moment in time. And for too long, we all thought that we could be heroes without a battle. But being a hero is not likes on Instagram. Being a hero is not likes on Facebook. Being a hero is having done all to stand. We stand, therefore, and we say we are God's side of this battle in Jesus' name. So I want you to know that when we rise, something shifts in the heavenly. Judges 5.20 through 21. We can go ahead and get the band up here because I don't think I'm going to get to my last verse. It says, from the heavens, the stars fought from their courses. They fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on, my soul, be strong. See, while, while they're fighting on earth and it's bloody and messy and muddy, God said, oh, you don't understand. What you see on earth is just a reflection of things that are happening in the heavenlies. I believe that when a company of women gathered here, courageous and chosen, begin to stand up to their feet, then the stars in the heaven begin to shift in their courses and begin to fight on our behalf. I want you to stand to your feet. I have a promise for you. I love this promise of God. Because God will always give us a promise that doesn't make sense in one season to be fulfilled in the next season. Isaiah 58 verse 12 says, you'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix 
anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. You'll be known. Not I'll be known. You'll be known. Each and every one of you can use the rubble, the broken things of your past lives, the mistakes and the faithfulness of God to build anew for the next generation. I want to be known as those who fix everything that they come in contact with, not those that break everything they come in contact with. I want to be known as those who renovate and rebuild and make the community livable again. I believe that we can be those women, that we can begin to lift and encourage and strengthen one another, that that is our mandate in our life. And some of you are here like, listen, I just came for the free food. I just heard people were going to be here, and I'm so tired of being alone. I didn't know my friend was going to bring me to one of those crazy born-again Christian things, and now I'm here, and my heart's beating, and I, I don't know what it means. I don't even know what rubble means. I don't even know what's going on in Deborah and Tent Pegs. I'm just going to tell you, you're not here by accident. And God has a people for this moment. I believe that this is, a, is a, a moment in time that you were created for. I believe to be born again in this moment isn't about escape. It's about joining a kingdom. It isn't about just rescue. It is about the honor of joining with God. God I mean, this is this beautiful moment where dark is dark and light is light. And you can choose and say, hey, listen, I don't know what a Christian is, but I think it's time I become one. I'm going to tell you what a Christian is, because I found out when I was 21 years of age, I had lived every moment of my life for myself, and I realized I was a horrible person who did horrible things. I realized I didn't even like myself anymore. I realized I had compromised everything I had ever set up as something good in my life. I knew I had no good thing in my life at all. Nothing to present to God as an offering like, hey, hey, can I get in? This is what I've done. Nothing. And when I heard that there was a God in heaven who loved me so much that he sent his one and only son that I would be born again, I was like, I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm, on, I'm up for that. My husband was doing the whole born again pitch and I interrupted him. I said, I, I want to do this thing. What is this thing? Whatever we need to do. I don't know if I need like candles or what I need to do. I want to do this thing right now. And he said, you mean become a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I want to become a Christian right now. And you know what? I thought I had to go through all sorts of rituals and I didn't know what was going on. All it was, was speaking my heart out to God and receiving his heart of love for me. And when I did that in a moment, I was born again. In a moment, I, all of my shame was washed away. In a moment, God took the stony, hard heart out of me, and my new heart was alive. It was tender. I could feel things I never felt before. And if you're here and you say, my heart is heavy, and my heart is hard, maybe at one time you knew religion, but you want to know a relationship. Maybe you've never been born again, or maybe you just need to lean in full heart and say, I'm all in. I'm not going to do the whole bow your eyes and close your, what? Well, bow your head. That's right. Close. See, I can't do that because I'll do it wrong. I'm not going to do the whole, let's be really quiet and be ashamed and like slip it up and hope nobody sees this. No, no, we need you. We need you. 
If you want to become a Christian, I'm going to count to three. And I want you to put your hand up. And we are all going to pray together. So I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Put your hand up in the air. Okay, I see it all over the building. Come on, put your hand up. Put your hand up. Come on, put your hand up. Oh, see, he loves you so much. Tonight was planned for you. This is your moment. Now we're going to pray together. All right, we're going to all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. I lay down my life. Forgive me of my sins. And I take up your life. Thank you for forgiving me. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Holy Spirit, invade my life. Make me new. Open my eyes to see, my ears to hear God's voice, and my heart to believe. And everybody agrees, say amen and amen.